on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are going to talk about how to use key predictive indicators. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Ron. Good to hear from you. You too. I'm looking forward to this show. It's uh, it's another one of those shows. Wow, it took us over 100 shows to get to this topic. <laughs> well, yeah, but but in in a sense, yes and no, right? Because we we have dealt with with many of the issues we're going to talk about today in different forums, just not as one consolidated show. In fact, so this is funny. I was at a meeting the other night where, in fact, two of the people present happen to be listeners of the Soul of Enterprise and. You know, I, I was joking with them. Did you hear the latest show? And they're like, "Well, no. What, what is it?" I said, "Well, you know, for, for the first time ever, we did a show, and this was last week on trashing the China timesheet." They're like, "It's not the first time." I said, "Well, that's not the first time that we did a show on it. We trash the timesheet all the time. That's true." <laughs> <laughs> that's true, but we've never scientifically taken it down like we did last that's, week. <laughs> that's correct. That's correct. So, th- so today we're gonna we're really gonna talk about these key predictive indicators as as something it, it was a, a dedicated show unto itself. Even though we've referred back to a lot of this stuff fairly often, we do. We've talked about the seven moral hazards of measurement, and we've talked yep. about efficiency, effectiveness, and all of that. But specifically dealing with the key predictive indicator idea, I think is going to be. Uh, really useful for folks because I think this is kind of a different way of thinking about your internal measurements, what you should be looking at inside of a business. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And, and in fact, Ron, I want just before we get rolling on this, uh, I think you're the first person that I ever heard when you were talking about KPIs, which is the the the, the TLA, the three letter acronym that everybody throws around, right? Right refer to the P as meaning predictive as opposed to performance. Right. And that's a real important thing. That, and that's why we, we're talking about this is predict. We want to talk about predictive indicators, not just performance indicators. Right. Because there's a big difference. And part of it that is just borrowing the terminology and, and the concepts from, from economics. You know, we always like to go back to economics and look at stuff and then try and apply it to the business world. Um, and, you know, economists have been using indicators for, for 60, 70 some odd years, and they actually have three different types. They have lagging, coincident, and leading. And so I thought, well, okay, I understand performance indicators are, are lagging, 
if they're real time, they're coincident, then what would be a leading indicator? And that's kind of what set me along this path. But but even before that, um, you know, part of this this whole concept for me, you know, I didn't have a burning bush moment or a, you know, a, a, an epiphany, you know, struck me as I was driving on a mountain road or something. It was a slow, gradual thing. But one of the things that really inspired me with this topic was when I went to Disney University, which was back in 1997. And I, I learned about some of the things that they looked at amongst mm. their guests and, I, you know, that always stuck in my mind. And I said, well, geez, what, what should accounting firms or professional firms be looking at? And that's what, that's what inspired me to write the book, Measure What Matters to Customers, uh, which was published actually in 2006. So I, I had been thinking about this for about a decade, germinating on these ideas and talking to various people and mentors about them. So it was a long time in coming before I got yeah. to that. That that leap between performance and predictive came, you know, a couple years before the book came out. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just for our, my my dad, rest his soul, thought that Measurement What Matters was your best book, without really? question. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He really, he really, really loved that book. In fact, <laughs> it's also your shortest run. So just it, just a I, little I, feedback. I, well, that's that's why my <laughs> brother calls it. It's about time. <laughs> he, he said you should have called it about it's about time <laughs> i know i know i hear you i hear you but you know. anyway yeah i know he did it he loved he loved it so yeah t- so talk about a little bit about that ron what so you 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 were inspired after going to disney university for uh, but but really ruminating on this topic for almost a decade before the book came out but and then what what, what as you i guess you did some research into it and what's some of some of the things you found? Yeah, and and, and one of the uh, another one of my inspirations, and it's uh, she was my mentor, and uh, it's the late Sheila Kessler. She she was a consultant to Fortune 100 companies. Ed, I think she had like 90 of them as customers. Wow. <laughs> um, and very very smart woman, and she was a Malcolm Baldridge Award examiner. Mm. I I still think they do the Baldridge Award, don't they? I'm I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I've heard I've heard it kicked around. I'm sure I'm sure they still do. It, it was a big deal back in the 80s and 90s. You know, I think it came about during the Reagan administration because Baldridge was his Secretary of Commerce. But then he died in a horse accident or something. He got got bucked off a Bronco or something. Uh, anyway, um, she was a, she was incredibly gifted when it came to this topic of total quality service, excellence in service, and measurement. You know, how do you measure it? And she actually wrote the foreword to the book. So she, her work and talking to her uh, was, was just an absolute uh, inspiration. And because of the work I had done on intellectual capital, I, I realized <clears throat> that not all intellectual capital is good. We can have negative intellectual capital. And geez, Ed, over the years, we've made an enormous list of negative intellectual capital, right? Yeah. Timesheets and, and you know, cost plus pricing and all of this. But what about legacy and outdated measurement systems? You know, what mm. we measure, uh, it, it can be uh, a negative capital. And, and as we know, you know, you'll get what you measure. And <laughs> so you better really, really think about what you're measuring. And the other thing kind of led me to write this book was I firmly believed in the McKinsey maxim 
before I wrote this book, as a practicing accountant, I lived and breathed what you can measure, you can manage. And if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? And if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And I believed all of that. Um, and so doing a doing a 180 on that or whatever um, was was one of those, you know, life-changing moments, that fork in the road moment type of thing. So, because, you know, if you think about it, I mean, we've talked about this before, but what you can measure, you can manage. I mean, building a better, a, a better scale doesn't change your weight, you know, weighing yourself more frequently. But, but even if you break it down further than that, you realize, well, wait a minute, this is either specious or meaningless because businesses has always been measuring and counting ever since accounting came into, mm. you know, uh, it, it, it was invented. And it, it's also it could be meaningless because it doesn't tell you what should be measured. So like right. you like to say, you know, all measurements are really judgments. They're, they're judgments in dis- in, and sometimes, and I sometimes add the phrase in disguise, because if you just measure it because everybody else is measuring it, then, then there's, there's no thought process behind it. Right. So there is no judgment. You're then just measuring for the sake of measuring and and that's why it, I sometimes add that phrase in disguise. Every every management is a judgment in disguise. And the the the, the example that I sometimes use is I'll be you know standing in front of an audience and I'll ask the person who's next to me, "How fast am I moving?" And they're like, "Really slow, Ed. Not moving. <laughs> You're not moving at all." I was like, "Okay, but if you were to observe me from a point you know north of the North Pole, you'd see that I'm." going around the with the with the rest of the earth's surface at a thousand miles an hour and of course the earth is then going around the sun at i don't know 1500 miles an hour and of course the entire solar system is going around the center of the milky way at hundreds of thousands of miles an hour like whoo i'm tired right and this really it, it is einstein's theory of relativity applied to any kind of measurement which is well, the measurement is only good in the co- in the context in, in which it's being measured, right? You have you have to take into account that your your measurement system has has an inherent judgment associated with it, and in in this case, it's spatial position. But in the case of business, some sometimes that judgment is in the case of well, it, we just think that that's important. Ca- counting the number of hours is is important for us to do. Right, it just is. <laughs> <laughs> We've always done it that way too. That's We've always, always done it that way. Yeah. So, th- so it's it's a it's it's then lacking in judgment, and those are the ones that I really fear. You know, the seventeen key p- performance indicators that you find in balanced scorecards all of the time, only to find out that well, why why did you pick these seventeen? Well, this is the industry standard. Yeah. You know, said who. <laughs> Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, you know, the other thing that always intrigued me was we've always used that phrase canary in the coal mine, canary in the coal mine. And it dawned on me one time that, wow, that, you know, that's a leading indicator. Isn't that what businesses should have? I mean, I've always understood the concept of leading indicators in the context of trying to predict where the economy is. You know, are we heading into or out of a recession? But I never really thought about that same framework inside of a business, because obviously most of the things that businesses measure 
are lagging. They have nothing to do with leading indicators. And so that distinction between a leading and a lagging indicator has always kind of fascinated me. And and you would think, well, this should just be common sense. But you know, as Mark Twain said, common sense is a curious name for something so rare. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so quickly give just uh, we talked about it, but let's go. What are some examples of of economic examples and maybe even business examples, Ron, of a lagging indicator? What's something that's a lagging indicator? Well, if you think about a lagging indicator in terms of in terms of economics, you know things like the prime rate, the unemployment rate, those are actually lagging indicators. They show us where the economy has been, but they don't give us any insight into where it is, or more importantly where it's headed. So if you go to like the conferenceboard.org or the uh, National Bureau of Economic Research.com, those are the two official bodies that determine whether or not the United States of America is in a recession. So those are the okay. two uh, organizations that do that. And and these are some of the lagging indicators they use. There's actually a whole list. There's like maybe six or seven or eight um, of lagging indicators. These are just a couple of examples. Uh, coincident indicators kind of tell you where the economy is at a given point in time. Where are we now? And some of those would be things like personal income, manufacturing, and and trade sales would give us an idea, like Christmas sales, okay. something like that. And if you're looking at leading indicators, and of course these are the most contentious because they give us an idea of where the economy is going, um, manufacturing new orders, building permits, venture capital funding, IPOs, you know, things like that. Those tell you what's happening. And now it's really interesting. We've got all these satellites, right, uh, up there floating around. They can even look at uh, car parks like in front of Walmart or Target, and that'll give them an idea of revenue. That would be a great leading indicator. Interesting. All right. Well, and we're going to talk about this concept of a leading indicator and how it applies to business and what are some of the leading indicators and or predictive indicators, as Ron has turned them, in our next couple of segments. But right now, right now we want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com by sending us an email address or just go to our website, The Soul of Enterprise. Dot com where we have all previous show notes as well as uh, the upcoming shows about what, what it is that we're going to be doing in the future. So there's your predictive indicator for what you're going to hear on the Soul of Enterprise. Uh, but right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, uh, the folks at Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. 
book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and folks we're back here I want to remind you that we really love to hear from you using the, the tools available go out to itunes review our show out on itunes we 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 love interacting with you on twitter so hashtag ask tsoe and uh, we will we'll we try very hard to respond to almost every inquiry that we get on that so really appreciate that um ron you you mentioned the canary in the coal mine is kind of one of the inspirations for you and this this notion for those of you who don't know the story the idea was that you brought a canary into a coal mine and the idea was if the canary died, it was thought that the canary was a fragile bird. And if the canary dies, then you, we got to get the hell out of the mine because that <laughs> means that there's noxious or toxic fumes that we're, we're, uh, we're, we're encountering. It turns out, by the way, Ron, I don't think it's a very good theory. I think that there, there, there are plenty of indica- indications that the canary, you know, depending upon positioning, whether you put them down at the bottom of the, the, the coal mine or at the top, whether depending upon the heaviness or lightness of the toxic gas. Uh, so it turned out not to be the greatest theory. But be that as it may, it is, it is a theory, right? It's a theory that if, if this happens – then we've got to take this action. And that's really what we're talking about in business is how do we come up with look, uh, measurements that we can say, okay, if this occurs, then we predict that that will happen. And that's really s- s- scientific method, scientific theory, right? It, it is. I mean, I, you know, Thomas Sowell in Knowledge and Decision says that theories are ideas systematically prepared for authentication, Right. And if in in you know ideas which don't survive any reasonable authentication is are illusions. <laughs> uh, right. So we're 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 testing an idea and and or a hypothesis. So that requires creativity and imagination, which is why I think Einstein used to say that, you know, imagination is more important than knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And and so that's what we're trying to do. So you come up with a hypothesis and and you know you're you're trying to observe. So in terms of customers or in terms of a business. I think what we'd like to do if we peered into the future, what would we want to be able to predict or at least have have a, a inkling of in the into the future would be customer behavior, right? Are they mm-hmm. going to come back? Are they going to buy more? And the standard way to construct a theory, just like a scientist, is you observe, you categorize, and then you test if it predicts and you confirm. Right. And if it mm-hmm. if it doesn't, then you start all over again and you can even boil that down into the two questions that Milton Friedman used to ask his graduate students. He'd ask them, how do you know? And so what? Right. Mm-hmm. So if you could say, well, how do you know? Well, we observed it or we collected this data or whatever. OK, now what? Now you've got this data. So what? What does it mean? What are the, the causal or 
even maybe casual relationships that, that might be present. And for that, you need a theory. And, you know, you, it is just a theory. And, and this is what got me about Disney University, Ed, because this is a company that does a lot of studying of its customers. And they have a lot of different listening posts. They call them ears or mouse ears, um, mm-hmm. ways to gather, you know, feedback from their customers, e- either, either explicitly or implicitly. And one of the questions that the instructors asked us was, what do you think is the number one indicator of a family that comes back to a resort, uh, a family with children? They were studying that. And what's the number one driver? What's the number one indicator of coming back to a particular resort? And, and this was Walt Disney World. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, people threw out, well, the, you know, if you, do they have characters or character breakfast, right? You would think that's a big deal. And somebody else said, well, you know, the rooms, how spacious are the rooms? And, you know, all these ideas went around. None of us got it, by the way. It was the mm-hmm. swimming pool. Mm-hmm. It was the swimming pool. And one of the assignments they gave us, they send you out every night and they tell you to go do something. And it was to kind of check out the, the new resorts that they were building and just look at the investments that they were pouring in to the swimming pools, you know, wave machines and, you know, fancy things into the pool because that's what the kids want to come back to. They don't care about the room. They don't care about the furniture, you know, any of that right, they're not right. in the room, right? Now, what I find interesting about that, and this was back in 97, so we're talking 20 years ago, my guess is that that's changed. I bet it's something mm-hmm. else today, right? Because <laughs> Disney upped their game, and now it's probably something else. And I'm yep. not sure what it is, but, and, and that made me really stop and think about, wow, they're, they're paying that, le- and this is a detailed company. You know, this is a company that knows after you get off the Pirates of Caribbean, you're going to be looking for a bathroom. And that's why there's always closed bathrooms next to the Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, that's, <laughs> the, lev- that's the level of detail of this type of company. And for them to have not known that, you know, it was very counterintuitive about the swimming pool. They had to study it. Um, that that just stuck in my mind going, wow, we, we pay no attention to that in professional firms. We're measuring billable hours and all this other stuff, but we're not thinking about it in terms of the customer. Mm. So I guess the question that, that, that firms need to ask themselves, and it would be different per firm, right, is what's what's their equivalent of the swimming pool? What is the thing that keeps your customers coming coming back and, and, and try to understand what that is. And is the relationship, is it actually causal? And my guess is, is that it's, it, it's, it's not anything to do with how many hours did you charge them for the tax return last year? Right. And that's a really important point you just made because you, you, you start with the customer and work backwards. So a key predictive indicator is a measurement guided by a theory. But the theory is the senior partner. The theory tells us what to measure. You know, just like Einstein used to say that, uh, you know, our theories determine what we can observe. Well, it's the same thing here. Our theories should determine what we measure. And, and that comes from observation. You know, what are our customers really doing with our product? What really creates value for them? You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's not producing financial statements or tax returns per se. It's giving them peace of mind or sleep or or there's always something else, you know, beneath the surface. 
uh, but we need to understand it either through listening or surveying or customer advisory boards, whatever it might be. But you know, unless you unless you have that that hypothesis of what's important to the customer, you'll never get there. Yeah, and and I love the 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 quote that I that from Clayton Christensen is that the only way to look into the future is to use a theory because the conclusive data is only available about the past, right? So he's he's you're, or I should say you're you're in complete alignment with him is that if if we really want to develop these things that are predictive in nature, we almost have to stop looking at the accounting data because by definition accounting is what happened yesterday yeah absolutely it's a lagging indicator at best even with cloud accounting and all that at best it's a coincident indicator but that's a far cry from a leading indicator i mean if you look at something like a building permit or venture capital funds or number of ipos those are theories right they're not just data i mean yeah you they you can collect them but those are theories about where the economy's headed because it, there, there's a million variables. Why those? Well, because they found some type of correlation between those things and the future improvement of the economy. Yep, yep. I just heard an expression the other day. I was listening to a podcast and somebody it, they said, uh, it, it, retail follows rooftops. Yeah, right, and that that's a good example of it. Is as 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 rooftops show up, that yep, the, the, I can predict there will be retail space that <laughs> follows in yep. as those rooftops go. So, but part of these satellite photos too, Ed, are taking um, you know a, a truck truck activity around manufacturing plants and things like that. You know, that's another great. There's actually companies now that sell this data. <laughs> <laughs> so they're looking at some of this from an economic perspective, and it's and they're seeing some correlations between that type of thing, you know, call, call, uh, cars parked in Walmart and economic activity, which is kind of fascinating. Mm. Yeah, really. Cool stuff. So the, the, w- one of the things that I started studying in, in, uh, in, in the late 90s, I, I ran across this great book by Gordon Bethune, I, From Worst to First, and he was the uh, CEO of Continental. Airlines, this was before it, it merged with United, and he talked about Continental's culture before he came on board, and the whole culture was all about driving down cost per passenger mile. That, that It was a cost accounting, you know, finance culture, and if they could lower that metric, they could, they could increase their profit. Now, how do you decrease the cost per mile in an airline well you stuff it full of seats so you give people less room you take out weight so you use less fuel right so they took out blankets and pillows and newspapers they even cut down the size of the drinks you know they had special like six ounce glasses or something or cups as opposed to eight ounce doesn't sound like a lot but over thousands of flights it it adds up and his point is when he came in as ceo he looked at all this and he said you know, wow, you can make a pizza so cheap, nobody wants to eat it. And you can make an airline so crummy, nobody wants to fly it. And that's exactly what Continental had, had done because it had filed bankruptcy twice in a decade when he took over. So he came in and said to everybody, look, we can't get new airplanes. We can't get new routes. We can't get better, uh, you know, technology than our competition. But what we can do is focus on what matters to the customer. And he started instituting a measurement system that actually defined 
the success the same way the customer did. And, and that's the second, I guess, part of the definition to a, a key predictive indicator. A performance indicator is just something that's happened in the past. Number of customers, sales last month, quarter, you know, some type of data point. But a predictive indicator is obviously a, a theory, and but it's also how does the customer define success? And that's where I tell firms to start. How does your customer define the success of your firm, be it a law firm, accounting firm, ad agency, whatever it might be, any business? How do they define success? And you work, you start there, and then you work backwards with the observation and categorization and all of that. So, so in other words, just to, to reiterate, so as an airline customer, I, I don't measure the success of an airline based on cost per passenger mile, huh? I don't do that. No. I don't do that. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we care so. about that. <laughs> no. Well, like, no, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and when you when, I just wanted to say that in that light because it's that absurd, isn't it? It's that it, absurd. It, like, it okay, is. Us, <laughs> Yep. Or, or or even revenue per passenger mile, we don't necessarily care about. No. And of course, that begs the question, what do we look at? And and we will discuss that when we return from this break, Ed, and we'll, we'll talk about some examples of leading KPIs that businesses are out there using. But in the meantime, folks, I'd like to remind you, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. And please check out our, our website, thesoulofenterprise.com. We have full show notes up there. You can listen to the shows right from there. And you can also check out our live events page and see where Ed and I are going to be uh, in public appearances. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. Easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper. Always be closing a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing how to use key predictive indicators. And, and Ed, speaking of live events, we are going to be in Richmond, uh, Canada, outside of Vancouver next week at the IPBC conference, so the Institute of Professional Bookkeepers of Canada. And we will be broadcasting live along with the um, Voice America uh, crew. We're going to have our executive producer, Robert Cellino, up there and an engineer. And that should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. We're, we're going to we're going to rec- do our Free Rider Friday show from from up there, Ron, and and uh, also do a, lots of interviews that we will either uh, air on a future show or maybe just stick in a stack of stuff someplace in a you know special place for some of some of you in the audience to go listen to without without having to go through a show. And the the other one at live event that I want to mention because it is completely open to the public is the one that we're doing in Niagara. Well, we're big in Canada, Ron. I know. Uh, it. This is in, in, <laughs> in Niagara Falls, Niagara Falls, Canada, or Ontario, I should say, uh, which is Horseshoe Falls, by the way. And we are we're doing an event where we are going to be workshopping the the work of Daniel Suskind and the future of the professions. And I was speaking just before we we came on the air today, Ron, with a group of of the people who are attending that session, about six of them. And they are really fired up and jazzed about this. And I think it's I think it's going to be one of the best events we have ever done, quite honestly. Yeah. Wow, really looking forward to that. And and I know that the uh, from from next week they're also going to be broadcasting live too on the live events channel on Voice America, so you could listen to us live. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, Ed. But back to the the Gordon Bethune book from worst to first. Uh, how he how he turned around Continental because he didn't do it by technology or even necessarily a business model change. He did it by looking at what they measure and just defining the success of the airline the same way the customer does. And he came up with three leading indicators. And Ed, you fly a lot. What do you think he looks he's looking at? Um, well, the thing that I care most about, Ron, is that as a as a as a passenger. Is did we did we leave and arrive on time? I mean, that's that. that I, usually, I'm flying for business. I want to make sure that hey, I get there with plenty of time, either to sleep before I go on the next day, or in some cases, I'm, and this is often the case for me from Dallas, if I'm if I'm get, getting there in enough time to make sure that I'm there for the gig that morning. So, um, on time performance, definitely that that's that's got that's a key one for me. Yep. That's true. And that is their number one indicator. In fact, I've talked to a few airline executives about this and they say that one throws a halo over everything else. Kind of like, you know, what Rory Sutherland talked about the hotel. When you check in, you have a pleasant experience. You'll look for affirmatory evidence that everything else is good. Yep, <laughs> right? yep, it's the yep. same thing here. If the, boy, if you're on time, the food's better, the entertainment's better and all that. If you're not, then everything's terrible. Um, yeah. And of course, the second one is lost luggage. And mm. the, the third one is kind of a, ma- a management by exception. It's customer complaints. Did the customer complain? And if they did, did you, did you fix the customer? Because you got to usually fix the person when they're complaining and then fix the underlying problem so it doesn't happen again. Um, and those are the three indicators that they looked at, Ed. And, of course, those are pretty well established in the airline industry. It's called the triple crown criteria. Actually, the Department of Transportation uh, measures these things in their own way uh, and publishes them on their website. So you can see where your airline stacked up, stacks up. But the interesting thing about it is when he did this, 
he gave like a $75 bonus or something that everybody got if they ranked number one or two in these measurements. And one of the things that was preventing Continental from scoring high in these, because they were literally ranked last, that's part of his book from worst to first, uh, one of the things um, that he did was he realized what was hindering the performance of these was the employee manual. You literally had to go through 27 layers of management to, to make a call on something. Even a pilot sometimes who was, you know, was commander of the flight and should have a lot of autonomy. Uh, he tore those employee manuals up in the parking lot. He had a big bonfire. He talks about it in the book. It's really funny. Um, and he said, look, I've got good people. I'm going to trust them to make the right call. Get the planes in on time. You know, so something as silly as if, for instance, the food wasn't, uh, you know, the caterers hadn't uh, restocked the plane on, on turnaround. He, he, he gave the crew autonomy just to forget the food, push back and get out of there and then comp everybody a drink or a free movie or whatever. You know, let them use their judgment because what's important mm. is we get the plane in on time, not give them a, you know, a crummy meal anyway. Mm hmm. Yep. Yep. So that, like, so, but obviously not safety issues, safety issues. We, we have to completely override that. We're Absolutely. not like, Oh, look, the, our tires not, not working. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess if you crash, that kind of blows your on-time performance thing too. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Don't want to, don't want to skimp on the safety. Uh, but it was just really those measurements and they started focusing on them. And I just, I, I thought of ever since that example, I thought, wow, what's the triple crown criteria for a business or each, every business should try and come up with their triple crown. And what I love about those three, Ed, the turnaround, the on-time arrival and the lost luggage and the customer complaints, notice that there's no ambiguity about them. Everybody can understand what they are from, you know, baggage handler up to pilot and everybody in between. But also notice that nobody in accounting can influence those things. <laughs> right. Uh, so the accounting department doesn't have anything to say about them. But the other thing about them is they'll never show up on a financial statement. Right. And yet, if you were an investor in an airline, you'd want to know those three things on a day to by day basis. Or if you were CEO, you'd want to know. And it just goes to show you these three things are theories. Right? How do they know it's real time or on time arrival? Well, because they've talked to passengers like you <laughs> and they've monitored your behavior. If, if they show up late consistently, you're going to switch airlines. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So those, and, and like you say, the, the, the really the only group that, that doesn't have an influence is your finance people, right? Everybody else does to a certain extent i mean certainly the flight attendants and and the, the people on the plane but even the baggage people uh, i would imagine that the, the 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 counter people they can influence that by how quickly they check people in or or get Absolutely. people rerouted you know from yep. a customer complaint perspective are, are do they accurately put those the 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 barcodes on on the person's luggage so as not to lose the luggage so Really, in a sense, it's almost everybody, at least in operations, has some influence over those numbers, even if it's just a little bit. Yep. And I think that's another really good point that leading indicators tend to be day by day operational KPIs. You know, what are we doing at the coal face with the customers that's going to get them to come back? Because really what what led to this question was 
when Gordon looked out of the plane taken off, he said, what's going to predict whether or not those passengers come back and fly Continental again? Those passengers. And it was, it was these three things. And I think that's a really interesting question for every business to ask. What's going to predict whether or not a customer comes back? So we started thinking about, and wow, this goes back to, you know, 97, 98, start thinking about what, what are the three KPIs that we would use in a, in a professional firm or, or indeed any type of business, but let's just talk about professional firms. And after years and years of testing this, Ed, and, you know, observing firms, especially who have gotten rid of timesheets, because once you remove that measurement, you, you know, you feel like you have to replace it with something. And my argument is you got to replace it with measures that matter to the customer. No customer cares how many hours their accountant or lawyer logs on a timesheet. So, what are the measures in a in a professional firm? And we've come up with a few. And of course, one is turnaround time. So just right. like the airlines, just like FedEx, right? Get, get, does my package drop on my porch at 8.30 in the morning or whatever it's supposed to be? Um, the other one that we looked at is uh, high satisfaction days. So when you have one of those days where you just pump your fist and go, yes, this is why I do what I do. This is what I was born to do, you know. Post it on social media, put it on Twitter or private forum or something and kind of explain it. And we, we have found some uh, some great effects from that, that uh, the more HSDs you see in a company, the higher the morale of the firm, the happier the people, the happier the people, the happier the customers. And some firms have even tied it to future profitability. The more HSDs they see in a given month, the higher next quarter's profits will be. So I really like that. That's actually a trademarked term, high satisfaction days uh, by New Level Group. They're out here in Napa. They're a consulting firm that works with not-for-profits. And um, now you've done, and, and another KPI that I think is, is possible is Net Promoter Score. And Sage mm-hmm. does Net Promoter Score, don't they? Yes, we do. We're 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 very we we are big believers in that. I'm now I like Net Promoter Score, but I think that that in a lot of firms it's not done as in depth as it should be. Uh, for, first of all, because it really it's it's done wrong. I mean, you, this this is a classic example of just not going back to the original source, who happens to be Fred Reicheld on it. And and understanding what he was he was driving at and what what he was about, I've seen far too many people just take take the question, which I'm if if you have taken a survey in the last ten years on from any company, I can almost assure you that you've seen this question. The, the net promoter question is, what is the likelihood that you would recommend us to a friend or colleague? So I'm right. sure you've seen that. And I think that far too often people implement it incorrectly. Maybe we could probably even do an entire show on that. But let's skip that one because I know you wanted to talk about the, the big three that we recommend. And turnaround time is definitely one. High satisfaction day is the other. And then the last one that, that I really like is the, the notion of the value gap, right? And we'll, right. we'll we'll talk about those. We'll talk about those in, in, in turn. I think a little bit more. Get, get when you talk about how high satisfaction days, though, Ron, the, the 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 new level group they they maintain that they see a a prediction in that. I want to be expressly clear in this: is that what you're saying is that if they see an increase to the number of high satisfaction days in say one month over the other, 
they say that is predictive of future success of the organization as in increased revenue and or profit. Is that right? Increased profits. Yep. In the, in, say, the next, okay. in, in the next quarter. So he's taken a very soft measure, you know, touchy feely. Oh, I had a great day, you know, cause I got a thank you note or got a gift from a customer. A customer came in and hugged me, whatever. Um, but he's tied it to profit, a very soft measure tied to a very hard measure, which I find fascinating. And yeah. so, some of the other firms that have done this have reported the same thing. There's a there's a firm up in Canada, an accounting firm, that he's kind of a nautical guy. So he bought a big ship bell and he installed it behind his receptionist. And when anybody in the office has an HSD, they ring the bell. Well, now this bell makes a lot of noise. And as you can imagine, Ed, sometimes there's customers in the place and they think, mm-hmm. what's that? You know, the fire alarm or something. And <laughs> he explains it to them and the customers go, wow, that's really cool. And now he's got customers, because these are business owners, coming into his firm to ring the bell when they have an HSD in their business. Wow. And I thought, wow, wow. How, how, how neat is that? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, turnaround time, value gap, which we'll talk about. Uh, after the break, but uh, folks, we're up against it here and we need to go pay some bills. So in the meantime, uh, you know, we know a lot of you listen on demand. We'd love it if you went to iTunes and gave us a rating. And if you've had a chance to look at our book, The Soul of Enterprise, uh, a review on Amazon would be greatly appreciated. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And just a quick reminder that we, Ron and I, will be live next week at IPBC, the, the, for the, um, what, I always forget the I, Ron. I know Institute of Canada Institute yeah. Institute. I want to say I want to say international, but then that's yeah. not. Why would you be international in Canada? In Canada, so, <laughs> right? So no Institute Institute of Professional Bookkeepers in Canada. So we're we're thrilled to make that trip up to see uh, Louis Prosperi and the group. And Louis will be one of the people that we would definitely interview. So looking forward to that. You know, Ron, we're 
we're kind of narrowing our focus on the 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 the, the triple crown ca- characteristics for professional firms, but there are, there are really a, a bunch of things that 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 could be the triple crown for organizations that are say manufacturers or you know so- software providers. It doesn't have to be the three we're talking about. We're really limiting sure. to what we think they are for professional firms. Right. And one of the ones, and I think I remember reading about this one in one of Jim Collins's book, and I, I forget which they all they all mesh together, whether it was built to last or uh, I can't good remember some of the, good to great. Yep. yep. But the, it was was uh, I, and this is the first time I remember reading about it. But it was 3M, right? And one one of the things that they looked at is they wanted to have, and I believe the number was 25 percent of the revenue in any given year had to be for products that did not exist five years ago, right? Yeah. Right. And that was the target number. And I, I guess, what would you call that? Innovation sales or something? Yeah, or innovation revenue. Yeah. Innovation revenue. Okay. And, and I think that that's a really interesting one. And you, you, could, you could make the argument that in a professional organization that that should be something. Like what percent of your revenue this year came from customers that you did not have five years ago or came from the sale of, of – of things that you didn't do five years ago, even if they were current customers. So looking to grow it, or if they were current customers, I'm sorry, looking to grow perhaps share of wallet, right? So yeah. what what are some of the others? Do you have any any just off the top of your head that you, that you think might fit into this category? Not non uh, non CPA firm, non professional firm, triple crown possibilities you mentioned a good one with with nps right then that promoter score is is used by yeah. some uh very successfully i remember looking at uh lexus ed and on their dashboard now it's 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 questionable whether it's a leading indicator but but i argue if you pay attention to it it almost becomes a leading indicator and that is their resale value their car's mm-hmm. resale value, because the higher that is, actually it rolls into cost of ownership. And sure. the cost of ownership is a leading indicator to Lexus because they want to you know, keep the maintenance down, so they use higher quality parts, all of that. The higher that resale value is, of course, that lowers cost of lifetime ownership, right? So they're looking at that, and I always thought that was really interesting. And the Disney example of the swimming pools. Now, I don't know what it is today. My guess is it's something else, but it's things like that. So, and what's interesting about them is since these are theories, you have to constantly test them because mm-hmm. our customers are not photographs. They're videos, right? They're constantly learning and moving and changing and having their expectations changed. So you really got to stay on top of this. It's a never-ending quest to test these different KPIs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one that I kind of always remember is is in the, the, the Rich Tierlink book, More Than a Motorcycle, where I mm. think he talks about the fact that 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 Harley Davidson's one of the things that they look at is they actually call tattoo parlors to to find out how many people are getting Harley Davidson tattooed on their body. That's brilliant. As a, that's as an brilliant. indicator, <laughs> right? yeah. Like, I don't see many, wow, that's that's really a that's commitment right there. <laughs> I don't see many BMW tattoos, but you know, no, but you see. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and just uh, on that innovation sales that you mentioned, Ned, just real quick, Intel wants a hundred percent of their revenue from products that didn't exist three years ago. Wow, you, you talk about an innovation culture, and I think Apple's like fifty percent. 
And I'm not sure they've hit that because of this, the iPhone and all that. So I don't know what you consider an innovation is a, is a new version of an iPhone, a, a quote unquote innovation. But um, I think it's a, it's, it's a, one of those measurements that keeps you on your toes. Sure does. Sure does. All right. Well, let, let be, we're getting close to the end of the show here. And I want to return our attention to this thing called value gap because I love this one, Ron. And there's, there's lots of different reasons for it. Uh, let me just uh, explain what it is. And I, I have a, 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 a basic version of the value gap and then a more advanced one. But so let me quick talk about what the basic one is. And it's only three pieces of information, right? The first is the customer name. Pretty sure most of you out there have a list of your customers. So check that one off as yes, you have it. Right? <laughs> the next one would be the revenue from that customer for some discrete period of time. It could be lifetime. That's fine. It could be last year, last two years, last five years. I don't care. Pick a discrete period of time. And what is the revenue for that? And for those of you, if you don't have a system that is capable of that, you know, let me know. I can hook you up with the Sage, the proper Sage product that will do that. Oh, by the way, it's all of them. Because right? <laughs> <laughs> we, we do measure that, right? And then the last, and just think about this in terms of a columns of a spreadsheet. And then the last one, and I real this is is you have to go through and for some subset of your customers, it doesn't have to be every single one of your customers, probably, you know, 20 of them, let's say, and say, here's this customer, here's the here's the revenue we got from them. And now what you need to do is you need to go through and think how much value did we create for that customer retrospectively? Yep. And and I really like this because one of the things that I think it does is it makes us really sit down and changes the way that we think about the customer and, and, and gets us better at understanding how it was that we created value in the past. And then, therefore, what we can then do is get better at recognizing those conversations in the future. Here's the beauty of this one, Ron, why I really think this is, is fantastic, is that say you have this spreadsheet with 20 customers on it, lifetime revenue, and then you go through and you figure what the lifetime value was that you created for these customers. And now you've got your nice spreadsheet and you can do a subtraction on it. You know what? Here's the cool part. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. doesn't yep. matter. Don't get hung up. It doesn't matter. The, what what matters is is actually answering, going through the process of answering the question, and that's what that's one of the brilliant things about Value Gap. Yep. No, I totally agree. And then if you think about it in terms of the potential revenue that you could be getting if you did more, um, you know, what other things that you could could you be doing for that customer that we're currently not doing, and then. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a gap there between what you're doing and what you could be doing. And then, you know, the plan is how do you close that gap? And it, it really just makes you think Ed, about how much opportunity there are, there is with our existing customers. And we mm -hmm. kind of, you know, we're so busy searching for new ones and, and yet there's gold in them, their files, you know, it's right in front of you and we're not mining it. Yep. Yeah. And that's and that's my advance. The two additional columns around that or what is the value that we could provide for this customer in some future time period, whether, you know, pick it, pick a discrete period, another two years. So what value could we provide for this customer two years from now? And then the, the next the last column is and I, and I like this because this relates back to pricing is what could we price that at? 
Right. That's what I like about that advanced one. It gets the pricing component in there. Correct. Correct. But let me, let me suggest this to you though, just do the basic one for six months to a year. If those of you who are, don't go to the advanced. It's, I, I, I think the bang for your buck on sitting through this with your people inside your organization and pondering how you have created value in the past leads to some really significant insights. I, I've had a conversation with a number of people who've done this, and they were they were blown away by by this this uh, this little exercise that we did. Yep, and it usually leads to more sales per customer, and and I think that's a great thing because it's always more profitable to sell more to an existing customer than to go out and get a new one. So, well, that's that's fantastic, Ed. This is this has been a, a terrific discussion, and uh, next week, I guess we're going to be doing Free Rider Friday, folks, live from Richmond, Canada, at the IPBC conference. So, Ed, I'll see you there. Sounds great, Ron. See you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at soulofenterprise.com for more information on each show. Uh, and we'll have full, note, full show notes on today's show. And also, you can contact Ed or myself at askpsoe at bearsage.com. Thanks for listening. Hope oh, have a great Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily